When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. I am Patrick Beeman, your host. Welcome back to the Inside the Boards podcast. This is part two of our discussion between Ryan Orwig, myself, and one of his former students discussing what makes a bad test taker. In this episode, Ryan alludes to some of the concepts he uses to help identify test-taking or study kind of difficulties that students have. And you can learn more, even if you are not a second-year medical student studying for Step 1, over on our new channel, the Inside the Board's Study Smarter series for the USMLE Step 1 and Comlex Level 1, which you can find by going to our show notes and clicking the link or searching your favorite podcatcher for the Inside the Board's Study Smarter series. During the whole course of our Study Smarter season, we'll be featuring snippets of advice called StatMed Lessons with Ryan to help you gain effective study strategies and examination strategies that you can apply, whether you're taking a shelf exam a specialty certification exam, or of course, your USMLE Step 1 or Comlex Level 1. Go to thestatprogram.com slash ITB to get one of the limited spots to the StatMed Boards Workshop just for ITB listeners. You can get an ad-free version of the 2017 Study Smarter Series by going to insidetheboards.com and clicking the Support the ITB Podcast button on the homepage. Don't forget about our all-audio QBank featuring content from Osmosis, Lecturio, and Online MedEd. As always, happy studying. Maureen, unfortunately for you, for the next uh, few moments, you're going to have to put yourself back into the mind of a <laughs> second-year medical student. That's all um, right. <laughs> but you only have to do it for like five, ten minutes. So Okay, fair enough. I can, I, can, I can endure that. All right, perfect. <laughs> Let me just read this question's vignette first and four okay. answer choices. And then, Ryan, you tell me what to do after that, okay? Yep. All right. A 34-year-old man comes to the office for a follow-up appointment. He tells you that he's doing well, except that he seems to be spending most of his time organizing various things around his house. In the last week, he says he's organized his bookshelf, his kitchen, and has color-coded his wardrobe. He enjoys doing these tasks, but states that there seems to be no end to it. He states he always has been this way, and that when his possessions are not organized, he gets very frustrated. 
His symptoms have affected his ability to maintain relationships with his family and friends. And so the question is, which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And we are looking at A, generalized anxiety disorder, B, normal behavior, C, obsessive compulsive disorder, or D, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. All right, so there's the information. This one is perhaps an easier way of presenting this classic, I think, uh, dichotomy the review books and boards probably put there, like, how do I decide between obsessive compulsive disorder, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, and other anxiety disorders, right, Uh, versus normal behavior. But let's say I have no idea, so I just pick normal behavior and I go on. What did I do wrong? Is that kind of the process? Or Maureen, maybe it's best for you to interject here. Uh, let me interject first and Maureen can play it out. Sure. You know, what we want to do is, you know, you want you want your client to work through, the, you know, do a handful of questions and then say like this example, they've missed it. Then, then they need to read the answer and the explanation. And then they need to say, and they need to draw a line in the sand. They need to say, what did I know before I read the explanation? And what did I know after, I, you know, then what did I learn from the answer explanation? Some people say, oh, I can't do that. I can't draw that line. They can I've never met someone who's not capable of drawing that line. I've met many people that want to argue about it, but they can do it. So then you have to do two things. You have to, number one, and this has to be compartmentalized, I think. They have to then be able to recreate how they missed it. Like, where did you go wrong? And it's really three gates. You have gate one, which is the passage and the question being asked. You have gate two, what did you think about A, B, C, D by itself? And then the third gate would be if you got tied, like if you got down to... C and D, obsessive compulsive disorder and compulsive personality disorder. This is where somebody might say, oh, I always narrow down to two and pick the wrong one or something like that. That's a pattern. But you have to then what we're tasking them with and what we're really training them to do is recreate those steps, not a summary, but a step by step recreation of where what they did, where they went wrong. And then they need to map out how they should have worked it. So perhaps what we could do is we could have Maureen play the role of bad Maureen which is like her old bad behavior, bad behaving test taking self, she can probably see it. She might be able to see where she might've gone wrong. And then, well, we'll just use that. And then we'll say, okay, here are the steps she went wrong. And then can we find steps to get it right? Because if you can't find a way to have gotten it right as your best self without using the stuff you learned from the explanation, then that's how you know it's just a straight up knowledge miss. We're trying to find our, she's like, if you miss a question, you're lost in a maze we want to see if we can find your way out of the maze. If you can find your way out, it's a test-taking miss. If you can't find your way out, it's a knowledge miss. And again, this is obviously something that we, we talk about over, spread over multiple hours, but I'm sort of condensing that, that process. But Maureen, can you play out how you might have missed this question? Back in the day, what I would have done is start mm-hmm. read through it and I see what's the most likely diagnosis. And then I would have said... I saw, you know, again, because I have read this whole thing, what's the last thing I remember is symptoms have affected ability to maintain relationships. So I would be like, oh, it's it's affecting his ability or that's screwing up his life. Um, OCD. Perfect. That is that that is that is bad Maureen in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's perfect. And so I think Maureen probably has, like for as smart as she is, and she's super, super smart as her accomplishments will test, but I think her working memory is probably average to below average. So working memory seven plus or minus two, she might be five, six, seven, but usually the higher the IQ, the higher the working memory. I think the way that these USMLE questions have evolved, Comlex, all your specialty boards, higher the IQ, higher the working memory. I think these tests 
That all that's to say, these tests put an undue burden on working memory. And I think someone like Maureen, she loses key clues. This will be identified about her. Mm-hmm. It, it was like it's like this is the big deal. She she loses clues all the way along the route. And so she's a, a single point of contactor. That's that's one of the categories that we'll identify. And she will grab onto one clue and you know, probably think about A, B, A, B, C, D all at the same time more burden on that working memory. She's not thinking about each one by itself. She's not going back to any sort of framework or blueprint within the within the the passage, the question. She's just running smash grab through there and there's all kinds of static. She's spinning her wheels, she's wasting time and she's going to use and, and at the it's this is happening within like 20 seconds probably. Mm-hmm. Right? And and she's picking something based on a single clue. Wrong answers are designed to be partially correct. And yep. she, she was springing the trap right and left on herself. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And so I think one of the things, like I would say one of the first things that you taught that I thought actually did help a lot was the idea that you read the actual question stem first. You, so oh, read the, that. Like the, the interrogatory. Read, read the actual question. Like which of the following is the le- most likely diagnosis? You read that first. Okay. Because problem is when, like at least for me, I would find that I would be reading these vignettes and be like, I don't know where they're going. I don't know where they're going. And then I'd see that diagnosis and then i've got to read it all over again um because now i know where they're going okay so we are we are taught to read linearly Correct. we're taught to read beginning to middle to end narrative stories so maureen's reading this da 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 i can't wait to find out where we're going oh most likely diagnosis wow what an amazing plot twist now i've got to go back and find out what it is and so it's this very perfunctory um hoop she was jumping through without building retention or comprehension or maybe putting her at risk to see a few buzzwords and then she predicts an answer, and then she shoehorns it in and jams a square peg in the round hole and makes it fit. But reading that last sentence, it sounds so generic. It sounds so uh, rudimentary. It is so important. And I'll see people – and Maureen would then – Maureen, I think if you if you remember this, you would read it first, and then within 30 seconds, forget it. Or it would mutate into something else. Yeah. You're never not answering a question, you know, right. when you're down there. So your brain will autofill, it'll autocorrect, and sometimes sometimes horrifically so. And I think one of the things we saw with you was that we had to train you that once, certainly keep it in mind during the reading of the passage, but then it was almost like Dory from Finding Nemo, you know? It's like just flittering through there and like the, the, the memory being gone. We, I think I remember definitely with you saying, okay, when you read option C, because we're training A by itself, B by itself, C by mm-hmm. itself, D, so on and so forth and make a decision in the moment. But I think what was like, look, when you get to see, you have to train yourself to go back and refresh yourself on what the precise thing that this question was asking you. Does that ring any bells? Do you remember that? Yeah. And I think, as I said, I think part of that was, you know, and this people who are like the good test takers, they're all, they're already doing this. They don't realize they're doing it, but they're doing right. it. Or their working memories are so robust that right. they can handle it. Or it's a, it's a, it's an innate reading strategy that they are deploying and they're saying, Hey, I'm reading it carefully. And you're like, what does that mean? You know, they can't even deconstruct it. So the first thing, obviously read the prompt first, but don't take it as, Oh, I'm just going to read the prompt first to see if I don't need to read the rest of the passage. Cause that's, that's a low yield game. It informs you as the reader, like most likely diagnosis, you can read this faster and looser and just look for three or four key clues to sort of triangulate and make your own, uh, to come up with a diagnosis. And I was going to say, like, if you think about this vignette, and we kind of chose a simple kind of um, question to illustrate this, but with the vignette here, 
nothing else changes, you could say which of the following is the next step in management. And the choices might be various psychotropic drugs, various forms of therapy, right? Correct. You could say which of the following is a likely side effect of the treatment, the most common treatment for this disorder or something like that. But that puts, like a, that, different bur- it puts right? a different burden on you, the test taker, up in the passage. Exactly, but, also- but it informs, like, just reading that actual interrogatory first, you know how hard you're going right. to have to pay attention, how many, what to look for, right? Like, Well, and I think for me also, it gave me sort of like, I'm trying to think of the best analogy, but if you're on a, on a road trip and you're driving from, you know, I, gosh, I'm making things up. You're, you're in Ohio. So Ohio to Massachusetts, at least it's good to know in the beginning that you're supposed to go to Massachusetts because then you have an idea of what direction you're going. So reading the stem that tells you what you're, what the, where you're supposed to be. Absolutely. That's that's very well said. Absolutely. And this is, we know this like from reading, like teaching little kids how to read. You know what it's like? I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think this is to piggyback on Maureen's analogy. It's kind of like, you know, I'll be honest. I, I, I did a lot of driving the past three years going from St. Louis to Cleveland or St. Louis to Cincinnati, like all the time. Sometimes, or when I initially started making that drive, I would leave my house and then like, like I knew I had to go east generally, right? So I'd get on a road headed east. But if I were going somewhere new, I might not, like Massachusetts, I might head east if I'm in Ohio, but I might not need to put it into like a GPS or really think about the details of the location and how many, you know, turns and exits when I'm a mile away. But I can't really get started unless I get in the car and go. Maybe that's kind of what you were saying. <laughs> I don't well, know. I guess it, what I think it, maybe what I'm straining the uh, analogy, but well, I think it just helps to know kind of what is you know what is your end goal for this. So the stennis tells you what's the end goal. Maure- Maureen, I think it's it's very pointed though. That it's about going in the right direction. Like where I live in Huntington, West Virginia, I can say I need to go to uh, Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is three hours away. But that doesn't mean I can get in my car and just drive three hours. I might end up in Columbus. I might end up halfway to Charlotte, halfway to Pittsburgh. You have to know the direction of where you're going. Or another way to look at it is if you're watching – if I'm watching a Star Wars movie, I know there's not going to be gore and, you know, like blood and curse words all over the place. Like I know the genre I'm in. Likewise, knowing the prompt, it it gives you a certain comfort level building toward It's a compass. It's almost like a compass. It's a compass. Exactly. Excellent. Long-winded way to get there, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we came up with like a uh, we can turn that into a blog article or something. There you go. All right. Um, okay. So, Maureen, you you're reading this interrogatory. Um, you've got this sort of like framework on which to pin different details, and then and then what happens? Like you would have picked OCD, and you would have gone to the next screen on your Osmosis or U World or whatever QBank you're using, and it would have been like wrong. Yeah. And the correct well, answer is actually obsessive compulsive personality, personality disorder. disorder. And then how and then, would you have felt? What would you have been like? Well, ah, because then they like that. Because well, then they go through. Because what I would have done is saw what was the most recent thing I read when I was growing this right before the stem, which was affected his ability to maintain relationships with family and friends. Thing. Okay, something is going really wrong. It's causing him problems. Whereas if I then they're going to show me like, wait a minute, that's okay. That's one point. But then there's another point. He's doing well. He enjoys organizing these things. 
so I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, OCD, you don't enjoy doing it. It's horrible doing it. You're not doing well. So there's this other evidence that was earlier in the paragraph, but I would have just kind of been like, oh, well, what was the most recent thing I saw? And sort of Maureen, oh, bad Maureen pre like redesigning her test taking, how would that have made you feel? I mean, do you feel like, oh, I see it now or wow, I just got burned on something and it's just going to happen again and again endlessly. I can't trust myself. I can't trust the test maker. Yes. How, I mean, which of which or any of those would that would you have felt again before we re, we sort of re-engineered it with the stat med process? I would have been, I think what, it, what I would just be like, I don't know. I just would have been incredibly frustrated. Crap. I just, another one I got wrong. And then once you get a couple wrong and you keep getting them and then you just, that makes you more frustrated, you're more anxious, and then you're less likely to read as carefully and then you're going to make more mistakes. Well, it makes you not trust either your, it, it makes you not trust yourself and your knowledge. Absolutely. It makes you not trust your study process. And it also can make you not trust the test designers. Yes. And then it becomes the sort of, there's these people sitting in a dark room plotting your death, tricking you on these questions. Cause you could be like, well, I know OCD and OCPD and I'm still missing it. They tricked me. They got me. Or I know these, shoot, I have to go study it again or something more abstract and emotional, which n- none of those are good alternatives. I wouldn't think. I would, I would yeah. Think. And it'd probably be a combination of all of those. <laughs> but but right. yeah, it takes a certain level of humility not to give into that mindset, which is, you know, I need to outsmart the test item writers because they're not trying to trick you. You don't have to outsmart them. You're not being gaslit by the NBME, right? It, it might, it might, be, like it might like feel like that, but it's probably stress-induced paranoia from being yeah. <laughs> a, a medical student under the gun like this. It's kind of a natural response, but I would say fight that tendency because when I look at this question as somebody who writes and edits a lot of questions, I'm like, this question is really about... Do they know an essential distinction between obsessive compulsive disorder, which you can treat effectively uh, with medications and therapy too, and obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is probably less amenable to treatment with medications, at least at a medical student level would be my contention probably now being a full-blown clinician. And, And so they put something, a hinge within that vignette that really gives it away and gives the distinction. And that is what you had identified, that he enjoys doing these tasks. All right. So if you know, so in my mind, like if somebody came to me and said, I picked generalized anxiety disorder on this, I would have been like, okay, their problem is they need to learn what generalized anxiety disorder is. All right. If they picked normal behavior, as the answer, I'd have been like, okay, they're not understanding the psych- what psychiatric disease is, right? And also, who are you hanging out with? Right, exactly, right? <laughs> this who is not normal behavior. Um, or there's something wrong organically with them, right? So those are probably the two options. You can tell a lot, you know, on the answer. May- I'll interject and say maybe, but don't throw stones in glass houses. I'm just saying I've yeah, seen yeah. some people butcher because we, they can like twist or manipulate. I mean, yes. it's just but I think what you're saying is like it, it, this comes down to C and D for most people, right? Yeah. yeah so I, I would think- say you have the correct answer: obsessive compulsive personality disorder, because um, he enjoys doing these tasks. He describes they they don't cause they're not uh, what's the term ego dystonic. They're not ego dystonic. Uh, also, the, just the fact that he says in the second question, he says he's doing well. Yes. Someone who's OCD, you do not say you're doing well. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then 
I would say, my guess, you apply metrics to this. Thousands of people answer this question. I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, you're probably going to get like 75, 80% of these people are going to get the correct answer. But the next most common one, the most attractive distractor, I like to call it, is obsessive compulsive disorder. And then probably like a handful will have not read it carefully or some other error would have led them to pick B or A. So Ryan, like how do you help somebody like Maureen who says, you know, I fixated on this uh, fact that it's affecting his ability to maintain relationships with his family and friends. So I just picked OCD. Right. So that's that's the most recent thing. Because also that was, that was the very last detail before the STEM. Okay. That was like, also, the last thing I would have read. Right. Is, and so is that this a pattern? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, certainly doing the single point of contact is. Whether yes. or not it's the last sentence or not, we'd have to have more questions to see if that's more prevalent. And it would it would make itself manifest really quickly. Um, so what we do is we say, okay, that's called – so the op, So you teach the name of the problem. That's a single point of contact. She built all of her strategy her, – her entire rationale around the single clue – so, Maureen, do you remember the name of the clue that offsets the, the strategy that offsets? Pointy edge. No, the triangle, the triangulation. Oh, so right, right, right. You pick that's close. Because, yeah, we'll talk about that too because that's important for you. But the triangulation is simply instead you can't say, "Hey, Maureen, go back and read it more carefully." Again, terrible advice. Uh, you know, factor in more things. So instead, go back. And her working memory, we're worried about it being overloaded. So let's just go back and pick three key clues. If you pick three key clues, that builds a web, it builds a framework, it's sticky, other things will hold to it, and it's enough to offset the imbalance of that single point of contact. So, you know, Maureen, if you you can go back to that, and if you just want to pick out three clues, okay, well, and you can keep your last one, right? His symptoms. Keep the last one, absolutely. So keep that last one. His symptoms have affected his ability to maintain relationships with his friends and family. Okay, now pick two other ones out for me. But then I would say, okay, he's doing... He's spending a lot of time, but he's doing well. So that's something because you're doing doing well means something. Because like if it's a psych disorder, you're not do, saying that. Um, he enjoys these tasks. He's always been this way. Pick um, two, let's just pick three and we'll roll with it. Yeah. And you can stick you can stick related ones together. You know, related ones can be bunch. That's like linking and chunking and working memory. It's fine. So we've got you know like he's been this way his whole life, but he's doing well. We'll call that one. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes um, it affected his ability to maintain relationships with friends. Okay, that's two. Two. Just give us one more. And then I'd say he enjoys doing these tasks. Enjoys them. Okay. So right there, if we have those three, I don't know, does that look like OCD? Well, no, because you don't enjoy it. At first, you don't enjoy it. You're not going to say you're doing well. And OCD is not something you've had your entire life. It's something that develops, you know, at one point in your life. And so Usually this like presents late, later. You know, like early 20s. Right. Yeah. Well, but, but now... Instead, so now you see how we're giving her the ability to, instead of giving her the vague advice of go back and and read more carefully, we're giving her a concrete methodology that has a name and a finite role that she can pull out like a specific tool. And it's cumbersome at first. It's something, and we're not writing this stuff down. You're not going to write this on the laminated grid sheet at the the Prometric. You're learning how to do this internally. And and, and that's, that's a very learnable thing, right, Maureen? It is. And I think also the other thing is, you know, it get, you have specific steps that you can take as opposed yes. to saying, read carefully. Well, what? I, I mean, I, I think I am. I'm trying. Right. But saying, OK, here's you're going to like, you know, let's look at the stem first. Let's find three things. And you mentioned the pointy edge. So we have this, this other reading. Like, so well, Ryan, this, 
Let me let me say this. They need to get uh, in touch with you, people who want to learn these things, right? Sure. Um, so how should how should people contact you? Uh, then go to the statmedlearning.com uh, or the statprogram.com. They both go to the website. Okay. And there's a contact form on there. They can contact us from there. They can find us on Facebook uh, at the stat program and statmedlearning.com or statmedlearning. And they can, they can message us from there. Um, and then, you know, we, we do our best to get back with you guys in a timely manner. It's just a matter of, you know, is this the right thing for you guys? And the one thing I, I want to mention just quickly is on the main website is I've actually, there's a blog and I've written some of the articles on the blog, oh, okay. um, talking about my experience, you know, sort of my beginnings part, what, what it did to me, you know, my experience through the program afterwards. Um, so that's just another thing, just so people can hear more from a student's perspective of what, it, what the experience was like. Absolutely. Okay. That's awesome. Cause what I would like to say is, um, that if you want to learn more about the pointy edge, keep listening to the study smarter series because Ryan will be helping us understand a little bit more how to apply effective study strategies during the study smarter series. And also, perhaps in the next segment, you can go through how do I identify what a key point is with all this information? Because I'm sure you have a process, right? Absolutely. Is that fair? Uh, oh, sure. Then? Absolutely. Yes. So, But before we actually conclude, I, I would like to ask uh, both of you and Maureen first, what would you tell med students who feel overwhelmed right now as they approach their step one study and face the rest of their careers and at least a couple years more of uh, lots of stress? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. What would I tell them? Uh, you know, one thing I actually, the first thing I would say is make sure you're taking care of yourself. Everyone um, says that. What would be actionable for you? Okay, so a couple of things. This isn't. This doesn't relate to specifically to study skills, but I'd say you've got to make sure you're eating well. You know, garbage in, garbage out. So make sure you're eating well. You're exercising. You're sleeping. Those are the basic things. You can't do anything if you're not doing that. But the one of the best piece of advice I always tell someone: please make sure your diet is good. I love sugar more than anyone, but you just you've got to make sure you're eating well in order if you want your brain to do what it's got to do. That's awesome because everyone gives that advice, right? And because everyone gives it, I think people go, yeah, yeah, eat well. I'm going to McDonald's for my study break and I'll work out tomorrow. And then tomorrow they say the same thing. And if I just put in another hour of study, I can at least get five hours of sleep, even if you know you need eight to function and learn well. Exactly. And I also like, it's, you know, I can see sometimes people like, I can't take time to study. You always have to eat. You have to eat every day. So make sure what you're putting, what you're putting in your body, what you're is healthy by and large. Um, because again, you, you need your brain to function at its peak. So if you put in a ton of sugar and a ton of fat and things that are just not going to make you feel good, you're just, you're not going to be able to you know function at your peak. You're not even going to be able to use any of the strategies, you know, just because your brain is just not at its peak. And I would say too, like every time you see patients and you think, why don't they just, you know, like those who, you know, have obesity or tobacco dependence or something like that, like, or they have significant uh, depression or anxiety. And, and like, we overlook sometimes the most effective interventions for some diseases like behavior modification, 
even just giving more intentionality and time to necessary like tasks of life, like eating better, sleeping more, having like a schedule, things like that. So be intentional about those things, I I would say, as you approach uh, boards prep. And that's pretty much universal advice, it seems, from everyone. And the other thing I would also say, and granted, this is, I'm, I'm biased because I'm in this field, but if the anxiety is becoming really severe, depression, get, you know, look into getting help. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. You know, sometimes you may, you know, may, whether it's medical help, maybe it's seeing a counselor, but, you know, get the help that you need and be willing to do that. Yep. And I would second that. I did that in second year. I sought uh, help from the, the school's uh, psychiatrist, actually, um, for anxiety somewhat related to stress and the overwhelming nature of medical school. And I will say, I'm so glad I did that. And I also look back and think, uh, why was I so embarrassed to do that? Like to even like tell family and friends. And now like I'm very free to talk about my own experiences as a, as a patient. And like it helped, it helped in many, many ways getting actual help that, that I personally needed. And my guess is, a lot of medical students could benefit from. <laughs> Absolutely. Because, you know, when you are struggling, it's so demoralizing and it's just, it's a very, you know, and as I said, you know, people talk about, oh, I, you know, failed this one test once. I'm like, no, that's not what the struggle is. This is about, you know, this prolonged period of time. Um, but it's important to be willing to get help um, because it can do a lot of good. And, you know, all the, you know, Ryan has so many skills, but if you are suffering with anxiety and depression, it's going to be harder to learn them. Absolutely. All right, Ryan, what would your advice be to the student in this distressed state of mind? Strategy wise, I mean, a simple thing can be, you know, put parameters on your study sessions, 50 minutes on, 10 minutes off, 25, five, whatever it is, and then hold yourself accountable. Take those breaks. I know for me, the idea was always, oh, if I can't do a full workout, then I won't do it at all. Um, you know, like so do like do like three hours, 50, 10, 50, 10, 50, 10. Take those 10 minutes off, have your phone turned off and out of sight, then gorge yourself on those 10 minutes. Like, you know, social media, your brain's out. But maybe do three to five minutes of exercise, push-ups, uh, air squats, use an exercise band. Three to five minutes, that will fire all the large muscle groups. Uh, mm-hmm. Walk up and down stairwells, three to five minutes, and then, you know, chill for five, five to seven minutes. But that fires the sort of, it gets all this, fires all the large muscle groups. And I'm not an exercise physiologist by any stretch, but it's simple. Like it, it improves the highly oxygenated blood flow to the brain and can improve your ability to focus. You know, it's so easy to sit there and not move. Uh, a lot of bad things from that, but there's just something to improve cognitive functioning. And if you do it consistently by the end of the day, you're going to get more yield, more bang for your buck, but it does require some personal organization and accountability. That, I don't know. That's an easy thing. And then something else you can do is people like StatMed Learning are out there to talk to you and provide you guys with alternative, uh, more effective ways to study and, and prepare for your exams. I do want to just um, kind of just piggyback off what he said about the kind of the 50, 10 or 25, five, you know, having these set breaks. Part of the reason I found it was helpful because you, you know, when you're studying, you kind of get a little stir crazy and you start thinking about other things. And I was able to say to myself, okay, you do want to look up this new dress online, 
you can do that in five minutes. You can do that in 20 minutes. And then I was like, oh, okay, in 20 minutes I can do that. Because it was as opposed to being like, okay, I have to do this for four hours. It's just not going to happen. But if you give yourself these breaks and be able to say to yourself, okay, yes, you want to think about this or look at this online. You can do that you know, in a little bit. Let's just do this now and then you can do it. But it was a, a more manageable time being like, you can't think about anything else and for four straight hours. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's unrealistic. It's punishing. And and then what you're going to end up doing is looking up that dress anyway. Yeah. And it's going to distract you and it's going to tear down any productivity. So these, yeah, adding some compartmentalization is a great idea. All right. And we will end it there. Check out the statprogram.com slash ITB for a special offer, 20% off the boards workshop, an exclusive Boards Workshop from StatMed Learning just for ITB listeners. And don't forget, go over to our new channel. Just simply search your favorite podcatcher for the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for the USMLE Step 1 and Comlex Level 1, where you can hear some more lessons and insights from Ryan throughout the series from now until the end of June. I just wanted to make a little bit of a, an announcement in favor for our friends over at Med School Coach. Med School Coach is always looking for great tutors. If you're passionate about helping medical students raise their USMLE or Comlex scores and have extensive teaching experience, just drop a note to info at medschoolcoach.com. They are especially looking for OMM-related tutors. So if you are one of our osteopathic listeners out there, send an email to info at medschoolcoach.com. I've been an advisor for MedSchoolCoach for over six years. I can tell you they are a great company. They take care of their clients and they take care of their team members. You can hear from their CEO, Sahil Mehta, over on the Inside the Boards Study Smarter Series channel throughout the 2018 season. And thanks to Rao Reynolds from Enter Shikari for letting us use the track Anesthetist off their album, The Mind Sweep. Check out entershikari.com or find them on Spotify.